In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Please make sure to support the kid at www.patreon.com forward slash the PhD podcast. There are five different tiers with incentives, so please make sure to hold me down and not hold me up. Y'all know I'm out here just doing the Lord's work, child, so please enjoy this week's inspiring episode, and until next time, later. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional professional homegirls and niggas. It's your girl Ebene from the PHG podcast, the only place where you will hear interviews from women anonymously on stories that will enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the bits that pays you, child. If you like the PHG podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five-star reviews only. Hold me down. Don't hold me up. You can connect with me on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl, at the PXG Podcast, and last but not least at Epine Beauty. If you are all caught up with episodes, listen to bonus episodes by supporting the PXG Podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PXG Podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So, on December 10th, 2005, a plane crashed in Nigeria 
killing 107 out of 109 passengers. Our guest is one out of two survivors from the accident, and she is the only student from her class that survived. So I want to say thank you so much to my guest for sharing her story on the PhD podcast. So to my guest, how are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how has the pandemic been treating you? <sighs> it's been rough. I know, I'm not right? even going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's been rough. Like for someone like me who um, operates primarily through like traveling and, you know, being in contact with people from all over the world, you know, shutting down airports and like traveling has just like really affected my entire schedule for the year, like honestly. So mm -hmm. it's been a big adjustment for sure for myself, for my team, and just trying to figure out what we can do while we're at home, basically. It's been a huge adaptation process, but you yeah. know, not just for me, obviously. <laughs> no, yeah, because I know before the pandemic happened, you travel a lot, oh, do man. a lot of That's, things in different states yep. and different countries. I can only imagine mm -hmm. how this is affecting you. Big time. Like I feel, at first it was like going stare crazy, just being in the same place all the time you know but uh yeah it's it went on for long enough that we all had no choice but to kind of you know adjust to this new normal basically so all right that's what it is yeah um so the 15 year anniversary is coming up how does mm -hmm. that make you feel well it's interesting because you know every year when that time of year comes by it always kind of feels a little weird just because you know i i get this moment where i I have this moment of, um, I guess, not really realization, but kind of uh, clarity about the fact mm. that, you know, my life really is like a gift. And like, I've lived one more year that would never have happened, you know, if I didn't somehow survive that day, you know, so every year, it's always a, a like a new realization of the blessing that life really is. And um, it really doesn't feel any different, honestly just knowing that I'm coming to the 15 year mark. I think the one that really hit me was the 10 year mark mm. for some reason. Yeah. So yeah, like um, in 2015, that was like, like, I don't know, just 10 years, a decade just like had more, like it was very milestone like, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I was able to actually go home for the anniversary because they did a celebration and like a ceremony back home in Nigeria with the parents of the kids that passed. Oh away. wow, that had to yeah. be deep. Oh, it was it was crazy, and also my first time going back to Nigeria after leaving since the accident. So there were all these different things that happened at the same time, you know, that made that like 2015 extremely, like just significant, you know, um, in the way that we we kind of um, honored those that passed away that day. So I think nothing can really top that. Maybe 20 years, but 15, yeah. 15 just feels like one more milestone, one more year um, of just being thankful, you know? And so, um, I mean, if I can be home for that too, that would be awesome. But um, being able to kind of express how I feel about just being here right now and living for those that passed away, doing that every year, I think it's going to be the same for the 15 year mark. Does it feel like it went by fast? No, actually. Uh, when I think about it, I feel like it sounds like a lot of time, you know? Right. But honestly, yeah, yeah, it really does. Like 15 years is not like that's a that's a whole teenager. Like that's a long time. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like honestly, no, because like every most of these years, like in, within each year, I've had <gasps> extremely significant things happen. Like I remember different. Th there are many different things that happen in each year that make them stand out. 
And mm. I know that these things, like they took so much time, like to get to these, to get like so much time passed while these things were happening that like, I, I don't really feel like it was like a flash, like it flashed by quick. You know, mm. I feel like, I feel, I remember every moment. I remember everything that it took for those moments to come and go. So it, it really, when I think about 15, it sounds about right. Like a lot of time has passed and a lot of things have happened and they needed like this amount of time to happen. So it doesn't really feel like that fast to me, no. Mm. You know, mm. when I was telling people about your story and they was like, wait, what? And they was like, oh yeah, she's definitely like an angel. Like oh. she's definitely gonna make it. And I was like, yo. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, like, her story is so inspirational. We're we gonna get more into it, but like, when I found you and I did my research on you, I was just like, and I remember watching you on America's Got Talent, which we're going to talk about yeah. later. I was oh, just like, wow. You. Like, I was just truly inspired. Like, yo, God got something for this girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> amen and amen to that. I amen. pray so. <laughs> yeah. So let's start from the beginning. So when you woke up on December 10th, did anything mm-hmm. seem off that day? No. No, mm-hmm. not at all. I remember that day being completely normal. But, you know, it's so funny because when I talk to my friends about this day, some of them have, like, the weirdest stories. Like, they tell me stuff that, like, made, like, I know one friend, she felt like that day was just the weirdest day. You know, mm. she has a completely different memory of that day from me. Me, I just remember it being a regular day. I remember being all up in my feelings because I was going home for a holiday, but it wasn't really going to be a holiday because I was going to be studying for the SATs throughout. So, like, I knew, like, going home was just going to be work waiting for me, you know? And mm-hmm. so I remember just thinking like, that was all that was in my mind that day when I woke up. And we, we woke up really early too, because you have to wake up early so you can start, you know, getting to the bus that takes you to the airport. And then we board the plane to go home. It's a whole day. So um, yeah, we just woke up early. I went to the, um, the um, school cafeteria with my friend. Um, I was with one of my closest friends. We kind of, we travel back and forth together because we live in, the, we take the same plane home. So so we mm-hmm. just, we, st- we stick together basically on days of travel. So I was with her, we, we ate, we got our tickets from our teachers. Um, and then we put our stuff on the bus and then we got on the bus, we t- went to the airport. And I just remember it being a very regular day. I really just don't think anything, the weather was fine. Like mm-hmm. from, my, from my end, like it was a sunny, hot day as usual. And we got to the airport, we sat down, flight was delayed. So we hung out a little bit like in the in the lounge area of the airport. We got some food and we were just chilling. We're just chilling and just waiting. We talked, my friend and I, we talked a lot about like, you know, SATs and our future and, you know, just how that was like looming over our heads, what our plans were. And then we just talked about some other random stuff, you know. And, well, remind uh, y'all, she was 16 years old when this happened. So you was a senior in high school. I was a senior in high school. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what was going on. So like, yeah, I mean. About I think three hours passed. Maybe we were in we were in the airport for a while because flights typically get really like badly delayed in Nigeria. So mm-hmm. so we the the plane finally arrived. We got up, packed our stuff up, and we got online. We got to the ticket counter. We went past. We got on the um, runway. We started getting to the plane. Got on the plane, and um, I sat next to. I was in the aisle seat right next mm-hmm. to my friend. She was also in the aisle seat, so we were next to each other. So that was good. You know, I was happy we could travel next to each other. I remember, um, yeah, I remember, like, we boarded and everything was fine. We were in the front of the plane. So, like, right, like, the front part of coach, that's where we're sitting. And then the flight kind of took off. And, yeah. But one thing I noticed that you said throughout your interviews was you noticed mm-hmm. that you didn't have a window seat. 
Yep. That's something that I remember not being happy about. Yeah, because like usually my mom always like takes care to book a window seat because I like like looking out the window when the you know the flight is up in the air. So I like even now that's something that I've carried over till now. Like I I just prefer it. Yeah. So I remember just thinking I'm gonna give her a hard time when I get home for sure because mm-hmm. I don't know why she didn't do this. Like like I get angry so when weird. I'm in a window seat. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, I was in my I was already in my feelings coming home like and you know studying and all that. And I'm like. I can't even look out the window like dang you know like right. so I was I was not happy no yeah I wasn't happy but like I was happy that I could at least sit next to my friend so that was good so um but I remember like we didn't really talk that much through the flight because we were so tired like we just slept and um I remember so there was a there was a lady obviously I didn't know like she was sitting in the um window seat um that was next to me mm-hmm. and um the the flight typically takes about an hour and a half Right. So um, it's usually, I mean, obviously uneventful. You don't want anything happening, you know, during the flight anyway. So right. that's what I remember. I remember it just being a regular flight, like for the first hour and like, let's say five minutes, everything was fine, you mm-hmm. know. And then the pilot makes the announcement that we will be landing in the airport pretty soon, like in 15, 20 minutes. And so we should, you know, buckle our seatbelts and, you know, just get ready for the descent. And right. yeah, so still, still regular stuff. So when then, did everything take a turn for the worse? Yeah. So uh, right around this time, the pilot made the announcement. Then the turbulence started. Right. And I remember not thinking anything about it because turbulence happened. It was normal. Strange. That's normal. Exactly. But then it started getting like way like dramatic, like more exaggerated. And I remember at this point, like looking out, like looking out the window and not being able to see much because of where I was sitting, but also not being able to see because it was just very cloudy, like thick clouds. But again, like, you know, when you're, that's what causes turbulence. You know, when the, when the plane's going through the clouds, mm-hmm. then you can't really see anything because you're going through the clouds, you know? So like, that's, that's why the plane was shaking. So I was still like rationalizing everything in my mind. Like I, and no one was seeing anything. No one was panicking yet because we just thought it was, it was just it was regular. Eventually we're going to be fine. Yeah. But then it just kept going and it started getting really bad. And I just remember like my heart starting to pound. And I just know that at that point, everyone on the plane was kind of like tense. There was just mm. a, an air in the, in the plane where like we all just knew at the same time, like, okay, something's up. This is not normal. And then like something happened. And then the lady at the back of the plane, like there was just a scream like a woman screaming like what like is this plane trying to land like what's and then when she said when she did that like that kind of triggered the panic so everyone started like she transferred that fear to everybody she transferred it and everyone she she basically gave voice to what everyone was like dreading inside like their hearts and i remember just sitting there not seeing this thing i was just in shock like what were you thinking screaming i was literally not even like I don't even remember feeling like afraid. It was more like awe and confusion. Like, is this right. really like what is this? Like, it was like I was watching me sitting there oh, and, and, trying to, and trying to make sense of what was happening. It was like a movie. Like, I like this doesn't happen. You know, this doesn't happen in real life. This is just not like is this. So I didn't even get a chance to really reconcile with reality. Like, this was actually reality. I didn't really understand what was going on. And I remember looking on to my friend like to my right and she was looking at me and we're just like what the, like she was like what the hell like what what is this she, she didn't say anything she was just staring at me mm. and I remember I remember the, one of the last things I remember is holding her hand and we were just like squeezing each other's hands and one of us said maybe we should pray like we didn't know what to do we didn't know what to like we didn't know what was happening 
And mm-hmm. I feel like it was me because I, I remember it echoing inside my head. Like, I don't really remember, like, I remember, like, hearing myself say the words. It was, it was a very strange feeling. And then before anything else could happen or anything else could be said, there was this, like, loud, like, metal scraping, like, screeching sound that just kind of filled my brain, like, filled my head and, like, just jarred my senses. And then I, I guess I must have blacked out at that point because my next vivid memory from that is opening my eyes and I was in the hospital bed and I was in South Africa and five weeks had passed. Yeah, and I, when I was reading that, they said that the doctors said that you had a 30% chance of surviving when yeah. you arrive at the hospital. Correct. Correct. So when you woke yeah. up, what happened? When I woke up, basically, I... So a lot had happened. So five weeks had passed, right? And mm-hmm. and I knew when I woke up, the, the thing about when I woke up was that I knew I knew where I was. I knew what had happened. I knew... Like, oh, you did? I, yeah, I knew details. And the reason for that is while I was in the coma, because I was in the coma for five weeks, while I was in that coma, my mom had been talking to me. And I would hear her voice, like, even in my subconscious, I would hear her talk, like, talking to me and telling me, like mm. what had happened, where I was. She would tell me in the plane crash. And now you're in South Africa. They're going to take care of you. You're in a hospital called Mill Park. And they're going to just, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. God is with you. I'm here. So, and she would sing to me too. So I opened my eyes. And when they asked me questions, like to figure out, like, you know, my state of mind, I would like, like shake my head yes or no based on what they asked me and I knew I, I just remember knowing I wasn't surprised that I was there I knew I was in South Africa I knew I was in this hospital I knew that I was burned because of the the accident like I knew these details because my mom would talk to me while I was in a coma and I even woke up knowing songs that I didn't know before the accident because she would sing to me these songs that she'd learned from her mom like while I was in school so there's no way I could have known them. And she would also play like songs by my bed whenever she left. Like this is all while I was in the coma, she would play music. And these were songs that I'd never heard. And I woke up knowing these songs. Mm. So it was like the weirdest but coolest thing because it really literally saved me. Because a lot of times I hear people wake up from from, tra- from trauma-induced comas still kind of in that mindset of like where the, like their body's kind of, like restart from the last thing that it remembers where they wake up in a panic they don't know what happened their body's still reacting mm-hmm. to the trauma so because of all this stuff my mom talking to me none of that happened to me and and I was able to kind of wake up in a very calm and like you know aware state oh that's amazing big time um you were burned 65 percent of your body how many yeah. surgeries did you have I have had, okay, so in South Africa, there were different phases, basically. South Africa, I was there for seven months, four months in the ICU and three in the ward. Before I left South Africa, I'd had about 75 surgeries or so. Mm. Um, When I first got there, I was having surgery every day. Then eventually it was twice. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of work to do for sure. I mean, basically 65% third degree burns meant I burned everywhere except for my tummy and my back. These are the mm. only places that didn't get burned. So they used skin from that area that didn't burn to like cover up the areas that did. So the major surgeries, like the major um, coverings that you see on me, like if you see any of my pictures, mm-hmm. my arms, my legs, and my head, my face, all that skin there burned off and was all the skin that covers it now was used from like my tummy and my back. 
So those are like the life-changing, life-saving surgeries that I did while in South Africa. Like they covered me up to make sure that I, you know, stayed alive and stayed, you know, no infection and stuff like that. So that was all done in South Africa. It took about 75 surgeries, but they didn't care about like my, it wasn't about practical stuff. That was all about this life-saving stuff. The, the practical reconstructive surgery came when I moved to America in 2007. And mm-hmm. with Strander's Hospital here in America, in Texas, this is where they gave me back my independence, focused on giving me surgeries that would give me back my life and um, help me to basically function again, you know, mm-hmm. do things for myself again. That pushed me over to about 100, 125 surgeries or so. I think in total, I've probably had close to 150 because after Shriners, I was in another hospital and then I did more surgeries like a few years ago as well. And yeah, so something about that. Something do you have that. to continue? Do you have to do any more surgeries or you're done? At this point, there's no have to anymore. Every like Anything I do from this point on is purely elective and would be things that if I decide to do anything, it would be if the chances of my quality of life are, if they stand to improve with the surgery, um, then I will do it. But as we... Like as we're speaking right now, I have nothing that I really, I, I don't have anything I want to do anymore um, or anything I think that's worth going through the, the just the recuperation process. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that they can do that right now that would make me decide to go under again, unless it's going to change my quality of life like significantly. What so, do you yeah. mean by quality of life? Anything that would basically help me function better. So like mm-hmm. if it's going to be something that maybe makes my fingers straighter, lets me maybe hold something tighter. Cause there's some things I just can never do anymore because of the way my, my body heals. So there's right. that or um, anything that will let me, you know, stretch out my arms more, anything that will let me like lift my head more comfortably without like the pull that comes from like looking up or looking to the side. Like I still have those functional issues, but again, mm-hmm. like I still, I can, like if I just lean my body back, I can look up, but then like, Obviously, if I was given a chance to not have to do that and just lift my head normally, if you can tell me that you can give me a surgery that would do that, cool. But right. as of now, there's really, like, they've done the best that I already, I think, like, I'm the product of, like, the best possible, mm-hmm. like, situation, like, best possible results out of my situation, basically. So as of now, these things have been done to the best of the doctor's abilities. So there's nothing really that they can do unless, so, so unless something new, like a new technology comes up and they're like, yeah, we can totally do this. We can make this happen without this and that, then cool. But yeah, I mean, for now, I've basically adapted to the body that I have. So yeah. Did you have to rebuild your self-love? And if so, how did you do it? Hmm. That's something that rather than rebuild, I would say I rediscovered more like mm, I learned that's a good like, word. Uh, rediscovered. Yeah, I rediscovered because it was really something that I had to have before I put myself back out there into the world. You know, I had to figure that because, you know, looking so different and being so aware of it, you know, I knew that, you know, I would be going out into the world that is extremely judgmental, you know, and it's extremely. a world that, that has set standards for beauty and for many other things and these standards they change all the time so the question became you know now that I look so different from what the world may conceive as beautiful or any kind of you know even if it's just any like beautiful ugly any of those standards I had to decide for myself what all those things meant for me before going out there and being influenced by what the world decides those things are you know so if I let myself go out there without defining them for myself then I will be at the mercy of whatever the world decides beauty is. So that means anything they say would affect me 
If they mm-hmm. say I'm ugly, I'll believe it. If they say I'm beautiful, I'll believe it. And you know, it just it's such an unreliable source of of information, especially for identity. You know, so I while I was disgusting. Oh no, period. Like that's that's pretty much the <laughs> long and short of it. Yeah. So you know, I had to just decide. You know, what do I want beauty to mean for me? What do I want to define myself by? How do I want to define myself? You know, and you know, what do I want to be the basis for my definition? You know, so mm-hmm. being a Christian, I think, played a very big role for me in this because it allowed me to kind of see myself the way God sees me, which is basically nothing to do with the outside and everything to do with the inside. So I had to decide if basically what I know I'm going to live with these scars, but what role do I want them to play in defining who I am? Like mm. for for like my identity's sake, you know? And so if mm-hmm. I, I realized like with the help, obviously not, this is not something I came into like all by myself, like some kind of epiphany. It was something that was fed into me through like a lot of like love and support from like loved ones and my family mm-hmm. and people that just basically didn't treat me different because I look different, you know, they helped to reinforce the, the belief I have now that I developed all those years ago that my scars do not define me, you know, mm-hmm. just because I look different doesn't mean I have to change how I behave, the jokes that I laugh at, the way I crack jokes, the, the clothes I wear, the places I go, these things didn't have to change just because I look different now, you know, so, right. so once I realized this, and I looked at myself for the first time after the accident. I remember that day. I remember the day I did. And I, I remember like wanting to just see how I look. Because I knew I could tell I was bandaged head to foot. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I'm pretty sure my face is like very different. And I wanted to see how different it was, you know. So my mm-hmm. mom, she brought the mirror the next day. And I looked at my reflection. And I remember seeing like the, like the scars and like the no skin. And just I looked like completely different from what I looked like before the accident. Mm-hmm. But like somehow, like it just didn't seem like a different person. Somehow there was still something very familiar in a reflection that looked nothing like me. And that was what really like started me on this journey of understanding that like whatever like makes us the essence of who we are, like these this whatever makes it makes me obviously goes beyond my physical. But if it didn't, then I sh- that was like the the first step to understand that my scars don't define me. And then seeing other people not treat me different because of that reinforce that and so I realized you know like hey you know I I have full control over how much I want these scars to define who I am you know I can either define myself the way God sees me which is every quality that he gave me that he gives each one of us or I can just use my outside and define myself and I just felt it was safer and just smarter to define myself the way God sees me because that way nothing the world ever says is ever going to influence me as long as God hasn't changed his mind about me and that's pretty much my approach to life. That was it then and that's it now. Basically, that's what's helped me just kind of understand that, you know, I can walk with my head held high in every situation, be mm-hmm. my authentic self at all times, because this is the way God made me. This is the way, like, this. these qualities inside trump whatever anyone sees on the outside. And it's up to me to decide to live my life based on those inner qualities. Right. And that's it. And I've I seen pictures of you before, and when I saw you and I was going through your Instagram, yeah. I still see you. Like, you still look the same uh, to me for some reason. So, like, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, like, that's so sweet. <laughs> no, you won't. No, seriously, because I was like, I did like a massive research on you and I was like going through your picture stuff. I watch you <laughs> sing all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh my, like, I still see you. Like, I just thought, wow. and then one thing, one more thing that I thought that you said that I um, really like when you said, 
that you would not conform to your scars and that it was only physical because everything else was still intact. And I'm like, that is exactly. so true. Like you still got your right mind. Mm-hmm. You still got your limbs and stuff. Exactly. So like, that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's girl. a blessing right there. You know, right. the people who have gone through what I've gone through and like they lost like a lot more than, you know, just their like their um physical, like their face or their their physical appearance. They lost like limbs. They lost some of pe- some people are in wheelchairs like yeah. I just feel like compared to that, like, what do I really have to complain about? I can walk around by myself. I can talk normally. I didn't have any Child, brain. she be on Instagram dancing and stuff. Look, like, having fun. <laughs> <laughs> look, you know. Like, you, you still know? look good. Like, Thank you. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. Absolutely. I was like, look at her. <laughs> <laughs> No, but oh, that's a thank good thing you so because much. You're not your story, and that's why I was like, I was so excited that you came onto the platform because I'm like, oh, people wow. need to know that you can have life after trauma. Yes, and that's it. You just you nailed it. That's it. That's exactly the phrase that I always use. There is life after trauma. You just have to find it and and define what that life is going to be for you. I could have been a very different person. I could have decided to to allow this thing to take over my personality and just be the only thing that people see and know about me. But you know. I didn't want just this for my life. You know, I wanted not not to live as though it didn't happen, but to live in spite of what happened and show other people that they can do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's pretty much what I hope my platforms show. And yeah, I just I just hope to keep living my truth like this. Yeah. So I know that you are an advocate for spreading awareness on bullying. So what is Correct. an advice you would give to those on being bullied because of how they look? I would advise them that bullying is something that's really close to my heart because um, even though I didn't experience it like like post burns um, personally, you know, I was definitely very sheltered and um, I just was very well taken care of and I never had to encounter people that would treat me that way, at least not until I was ready to face those kind of people. I know that's not the case for a lot of other people. And also my sister like went through a very like difficult time when we first moved over here because Mm -hmm. of, you know, just differences, you know, different accent, different, just differences, you know, and so um, that's something that I just really pray doesn't happen to any other person that I know. So um, what I usually say is um, I, I'm a huge advocate for, for um, being someone who loves themselves. And when I say self-love, I mean, loving, not like a, like a, some kind of, um, just overarching statement about just loving all the good stuff and and just seeing yourself as like just a good person like not unrealistically loving yourself but loving everything about yourself including your flaws and your scars because what I've noticed about bullying is that these people who bully you they try to make you feel bad about things that they think you should be ashamed of you know Mm -hmm. they they use things that make you oftentimes what makes you unique what makes you stand out what makes you different they try to make you feel bad for those things that make you a different person. But at the end of the day, we are, we're not made to be cookie cutter and to be the same. We're made as individuals, you know? Mm-hmm. So I believe that like those differences and those, those unique things that make us like that, in, those, these individuals that we are, those are the things that, that those are the things that make us like, that's, that's what's given to us to allow us to be special, to allow us to thrive. And a lot to of be times, you. Exactly. A lot of times mm-hmm. those are those the people have people have made like success stories and like businesses and 
amazing things happen through their differences. You know, you don't stand out by being the same. You know what I mean? Right. So like, so I feel like when, when you have, if you have things that people are trying to make you feel bad about, embrace those things, like love those things about yourself, because the more you love yourself and your flaws, you acknowledge your flaws and you love yourself despite your flaws, you take away the power from bullies. They don't have, they can't make you feel bad about something that you've accepted about yourself and that you love about yourself. And that's mm-hmm. really what I feel like my, my sister, they try to make her feel bad about like her accent and try to make her feel bad about her skin and her, you know, her nappy hair. And Mm -hmm. she, we just did our best to teach her how to love those things that make her unique. Like her skin is her skin. She has flawless, beautiful black skin. Her hair is her hair and it's beautiful. And when she wears her fro, she looks amazing. Like there are things that like, like when you see these things and people make you feel bad, you try to hide them. But once you expose them, you love them, you embrace Mm -hmm. them, you just tear yourself. Can nobody mess with you? Period. Like. Once, right. you, once people see that you've embraced these things, they don't have any power anymore to like use those things against you. And right. so that's, if you see her now, she's just like out there doing her thing, like popping with the melanin and just looking beautiful. And, you, and it's not fake. You can see that this is really how she feels about herself. You know, this is what mm-hmm. she loves about herself. And I think once you take that power from them, then you can like, you can rule the world. Like you can do whatever you want and you just feel free, you know? So I, that's really the approach that I, I take and that I taught my sister to take and I want people to take as well embrace those unique things that make you different and take the power away from those people who are trying to use those things to make you feel bad about yourself that's mm-hmm. that's really what I want to tell them I think that it's not something that happens overnight you know it's not like a quick um what's it called it's not a quick like a solution to Mm-hmm. to um, this issue of bullying because you know self-love takes time I'm still growing every day with loving myself you know it, does, it doesn't happen overnight but it's I think that's the most long-term solution to this thing because you know when 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 people bully you there's also like you start to bully yourself too you know because what happens is you start to believe those things they say about you you know and then mm-hmm. it makes you it makes you like and you never had a problem with it <laughs> exactly you know, mm-hmm. so I just, yeah, I want people to approach it in that way of learning to just love themselves and take that power from the bully, like once and for all, like permanently. And yeah, that's pretty much what I say, I guess. I hope it helps. I'm just curious, did they ever figure out what caused the accident? So I got a lot of, there, there were a lot of different reports, really. One mm-hmm. was about how it was, they said it was pilot error. Another one said the plane was bad. The plane had like a, um, a, um, it was like an old plane. It had some faulty parts, things like that. But I think at the end of the day, they realized it was about like the pilot trying to land um, in very bad weather. It was apparently there was a thunderstorm. Didn't know that until like after. Oh I wow! Up. Yeah. So there was very low visibility, and there was a thunderstorm, and he tried to land in the thunderstorm and miscalculated, and that's what happened. That's what they said happened. Mm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I know that you are a faith-based woman. Yes, I Did am. Did you ever? I. Listen, we love a, a faith-based woman over here. <laughs> uh, did you ever question your faith during your journey? More than, not really question. It was more, um, I guess, my faith, free. What, what happened with my faith was that it kind of, it grew actually mm-hmm. during this time. And I say that because prior to the accident, I was a Christian and I was like, you know, born into a Christian, a believing household. And that was a that was like my life, you know. I I would I would have called myself a Christian based on the fact that I was baptized and I, you know, my family believed this, therefore I believe this. So the point is, 
I wasn't, I didn't have what you would call a personal relationship with God, but one that was derived based on my family's beliefs. So that Mm -hmm. was where I was before the accident happened. I wasn't like, I believed in God and I believed he existed, but I had never tried to have something personal with him prior to the accident. That only happened after. And even then, after like nothing else worked, basically, you know, I, I was in, I didn't have any any, I didn't blame God for anything, but I also didn't ask him for anything, you know, and I didn't feel like I needed to do that because I had my mom who was such a strong, yeah, God leader. bless her. Look, okay. and I believe like, as long as God was listening to her, then I didn't need to say nothing. Like, I just felt like, yeah, she, she did all the praying and she did all the interceding for me. And I didn't feel like I needed to do anything personally because she had, she had that covered. So that was my attitude for even like three, four months after the accident, I was really not even trying to have anything personal, not because I didn't want, I didn't feel like he wouldn't help or I didn't feel like I, 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 obviously I believed in him enough to believe that he would help me through my mom. I just didn't feel like I needed to do anything personally. But then I got Mm -hmm. to a point where, you know, medication stopped working and there were just some things that, that drugs could not heal that Mm. had to be healed by something other than that, something bigger than that and I, I got to a point where I realized this for myself and um, that was the point where I decided to kind of start to grow something personal for myself not just because mm-hmm. you know this is something my family believes but actually because I want to know about this God that everyone's and you want about. to do it for yourself right exactly yeah so that happened like five maybe four or five months into my treatment and it's something that I'm like that growth has been happening and is still happening as we speak like it's, you know, I mean, we never, ever get to a point where we're like, all right, we good now. We know everything to, to do with this. Oh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're like 100% Christian. Now we get it. We get it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a journey, like a life journey. And it's one that definitely started for me after the accident. So it, and I'm grateful that it did for sure, because there's no me without God. And honestly, like the way that I think, the things that I do, the confidence that I, I carry myself with, the the genuine like the authentic way I care I try to care myself in my daily life all that I attribute to just God and and the grace that He's given to me and to my family so yeah mm-hmm. do you still suffer from um survivor's guilt hmm. honestly that's something that I never actually felt to begin with and I say this because. I never once allowed myself to, to question why something like this happened, you know, mm. um, or why, why, only, why did only me survive out of all these other kids? I never, I never went That's down it. that path. And the reason is, you know, what, what good would that do? You know, I felt mm-hmm. like there's just, some, there's some things that happen in this life that no matter what happens, you just never know the reason why only God knows the reason why. And I felt like this was one of them because there's no, even if someone gave me a reason why this accident, why only of these 61 kids survived, like, is it ever going to make me feel satisfied or make right. those parents feel satisfied? No reason can ever be satisfactory, you know, to, okay, yeah, now I get it. I get why all these people have to die. It's never going to make sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So why even bother going down this like downward spiral asking why when you know that the answer is never going to be satisfied like like you're never going to be happy with what you hear you know who knows why these things happen like we live in a flawed world where the worst things happen to the best kind of people so like rather than spending my time asking why feeling bad for surviving when even the parents of these kids that passed away aren't making me feel that way they're not blaming me for anything or or feeling 
like why didn't their kids survive instead? These parents, all they did was send encouraging letters and messages. They called my mom to pray. Like these were people that were, they had latched on to my life as like one good thing that came out of this horrible thing. So if for nothing else, for these parents that lost their loved ones, I had to live my life in a way that would honor those that passed away. Rather than spending my time feeling guilty for their for surviving, I wanted instead to make my life count for them, for their sake. And for the sake mm-hmm. of those that they left behind, I wanted to live as excellently as possible and live this life in a way that would basically make them and their loved ones proud. So that's pretty much the spin that I put on it. And and that was what I, I decided to do because I felt like that would be the best way to honor those that passed away rather than feeling bad. Because then why was I saved? You know, if I'm going to spend my time in misery and sad and guilty about what happened, then what was the point of me being saved? If that's right. what I'm gonna do with the life, yeah. So that was that was really like my outlook on it from the start, and and it really hasn't changed. You know, there at the end of the day, like that's really the base drive that I have behind everything that I do is to just make those angels proud. And I know that their parents are watching, and they're always supporting me. They follow me on Facebook. They mm-hmm. like they're amazing, and I know that they're happy every time that they see me shine in some way, you know, small or big. So yeah, that's. That's one thing I read was um and yep. I was kind of, it was kind of touching when you said when you graduated and remind y'all she graduated at the top of her class <laughs> and <laughs> you were saying how um you felt your classmates behind you and this was an accomplishment for them yep, as well and I was just like well. wow like yep. Yep, that yep, was yep. really touching thank you uh, yeah it's how I felt yeah how did music help you with your healing oof oh man music but there, there's just, there's just parts of my life, like parts of me that like would never have been the same without like music, honestly. It's something that basically, I mean, everyone grows up loving music, obviously. So that's, that's like a given, but like, it was something extremely Especially special black. for me. <laughs> big time, big time. So true. Honestly, like growing up in Nigeria, I mean, this is something that like, oh man. It was just, mm. and then being able to, as I like became like, as I grew older, like as a teenager, I noticed that my voice was getting like different, like, you know, it was getting better. And so I loved singing like from the get go, you know, it was something that mm-hmm. I already loved doing. But then after the accident happened, like music was something that was there even before I opened my eyes. Like when I told you about how my mom was singing to me and how I would hear music while I was in the coma, like these were things that like kept me kind of grounded on this side, you know, kept me tethered to like the this world you know hearing these sounds hearing my mom's voice hearing her singing songs to me hearing like destiny's child you know backstreet boys playing like over like the the um speaker like in my hospital room like these mm-hmm. were things that like really really kept me like like in even in, even in my subconscious like they they made me understand that i was still here i was still present and so opening my eyes you know knowing these songs like it made music even that much more special to me and then mm. also, eventually, when I was able to talk and um, sing along to, like, my favorite songs, I remember the first time I sang along to a song. It was a Kelly Clarkson song, and it was playing. And my mom just kind of whipped her head around and was like, um, what was that? Like, that's not how you used to sound. And so something obviously happened also, like, post-accident that changed my voice, like, diff- mm. like significantly, for sure. So, like, this was something that made music even that much more special to me because now like I 
I felt like my voice had gone through this like weird change that had been triggered by the accident somehow. I didn't really mm. question it. I didn't really ask too many questions or like try to understand the science of it or anything. I just, I just ran with it. And I was just happy that I could do this. So, so it became like a really big part of my healing as well. I mean, I, music was an escape, man. Like it, like it was the one thing I could do no matter what I was in, like situation, like what, I, like if I was lying down in pain, if I couldn't move, I couldn't move any part of my body. I could move my mouth and I could sing, like my throat, I could sing. And that was something that I always had. So I remember after I moved down here to America, my dad bought me a karaoke machine, which I still have. And I'm always <laughs> like still singing on like constantly. But then also Shrana's hospital made music therapy a part of my healing as well, like part of my treatment. So I had that as well as a way to express myself. And just something different to do that wasn't surgery, you know? This was before right. I started school, yeah. So, you know, music has just always been there. And, you know, I would just sing for fun. And just, it was a hobby. It was my favorite, is my favorite pastime. Eventually, in, I think, 2015, I finally got the, you know, the balls to join my church choir, like a worship team. So that was, mm -hmm. like, another fun thing to do. But that was really as far as I was ever going to take music. I just didn't feel like... Just because I can sing and I like singing, like I can like do anything special with it, like make it a career or whatever. So yeah, America's Got Talent just kind of came out of yeah, nowhere. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> I was in the middle of my MBA when AGT happened. One of my best friends signed me up for the show without telling me. That's how that happened. Mm. She had been telling me, threatening me, like, because I what I something I've always done is like sing covers and like send to my friends and my family, but never like post it anywhere. And she would just always be like, why are you sending this to me? Like, I can't do anything with this. Like, like send this to someone who can do something with it. Send it to America's Got Talent. Send it to American Idol. You know, do something. And I'd just be like, eh, no, you know, no, nah, not really. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself out there. And so she just got sick of it. And then she just like went online and applied on my behalf and, and just basically sent one of these clips I'm always sending to her and posted it, like attached it to the application she did the whole thing and like sent it Listen. and then look <laughs> look like she she got sick that of is me a just, friend for life no she's like she was not like she literally actually changed my life like like when i think about it she is the reason why all this happened if she didn't do that like she like she i just woke up one morning and and she had forwarded like the application to me like look what i did it's done and I put in my email. So like, if they reject you, like, you're not even going to see it. I'm just letting you know that this has been done. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, fine. I mean, it's done. So months passed, nothing happened, no response. And then like November, 2015, no, 2016, Saturday, like 8 AM, like I got this phone call from a lady. Her name was Destiny. Mm. And she said, she saw my application. She read about my story and oh my God, like they think that they would want me on the show. And that's all she wrote. That's it. Child, I remember watching you perform, and when Simon hit that gold buzzer, Ooh. yo, I was so happy for you. Thank you so man. That's still like the most like unbelievable thing to happen in my life. Honestly, one like top top ten for sure. Like no expectation. I remember thinking like I completely blew that out. Like I felt like I. I felt like I messed up the entire performance. I was not happy. And I just felt like, okay, well, you know, I did my best and I'm ready to go. It's cool. I'm just glad I was given this opportunity. I already had my thank you speech planned out and everything. So like seeing him reach around and do that. Like, like he loves you. 
<laughs> Honestly, I feel like he definitely um, took a liking to me. I'm not even going to lie. Like, I, he made me feel like, not just like liking my voice, but like as a person, he, I feel like he vibed with me a lot. And that's mm-hmm. a big deal for like for me because, you know, it's Simon, you know, and, you know, as a singer, you can't help but like, you know, care about what he says or what he thinks about what you do. So, or how you sound, you know? So it was really cool to just have someone like him to have his support was extremely validating you know especially in the beginning of the show like I just felt for a while like why am I really here like is it for my voice like do I really did I really earn this spot or is it just because of my story because I don't want to be here for my story like this is not America's got like best stories like this is about do you be feeling like that sometimes with certain things um definitely for America's Got Talent like the beginning of that entire process I felt like do I really, like, did I really, like, I'm, I just feel like, I'm, what if I'm in someone else's spot? Like, what if I'm here just because of my story? Like, I don't want that. Mm. Like, and every time throughout the entire process, like, I would just pray, because I was just, like, I was praying, like, incessantly throughout this entire thing. And I would just tell God, look, like, I don't want to be here for my story. Like, just, if this is the round where I get eliminated, like, let it be done. Like, I don't want every step of the way. I just don't want to keep being here if I'm not supposed to be here because of my voice, please. I don't want any favors. I don't want any of that. Like, just get me out of here once you think it's time for me to get out of here. But like, I mean, it just never happened, you know? So the more I realized that, like the more time passed and I was still on there, it just allowed me to believe more and more in the fact that like, yes, my story, I mean, they do like a good story, true. But like, I had to start believing at some point that, hey, like, you know, that is not the only reason you're here. When you got to the point where America was, like, voting, that really showed me that, like, people really felt like, okay, like, this girl can sing. So, I mean, and Mm -hmm. then also having the support of someone like Simon helped in that, like, belief as well. Like, hey, like, yes, your story is really cool, but, like, guess what? Like, you wouldn't be here just because of that. So it took me a while. I'm not going to lie. Until today, I still kind of struggle with that, honestly, where I feel like... That's the imposter syndrome. Look, I think that's what it is, actually. Yeah, you know, so I'm reaching out to the therapist, and she specializes in imposter syndrome. Yeah, and in her studies, it shows up a lot in Black women. That's exactly what it was. Are you serious? Yeah, I'll give you. I'll send you a link once that interview drops. But that's exactly what it was. And for some reason, like I cannot wait to to read more and to interview her to figure it out. But even like, and this is like off the topic. I was watching Set It Off, right? And it was a scene where Jada Pinkett Smith was with was with um, Blair Underwood, yeah. and she was questioning herself about why she shouldn't be there. And I'm like, oh my god, imposter syndrome been around all this time. We just now have a word for it. <laughs> Yo, all the way. That's exactly it what. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So that's exactly what it was because you can sing, and I ain't gonna be one of them annoying black people that ask you to sing on a show. But <laughs> <laughs> you can really sing. But for you to think that, that's what it was. Man, it was definitely bad for me at the beginning. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, yeah. I cried a lot. Like I told my mom, like, look, like, are you sure I'm? Like I don't even know. Like I just have all this doubt about, like, you know, this is something. Good. I guess I don't know something I've always loved to do, the singing, like I've always loved this and I've always enjoyed it and I've always felt like my voice was good. But then now that I was in this pressure situation where someone was going to be telling me whether or not they thought it was good, it just made it so different. It was like, okay, I think I'm good, but like, what if these people don't think I'm good? What if they just think my story is good? Like it just, man, I struggled so hard. And 
it's definitely something I still struggle with now because, you know, trying to release music, I'm just like, hey, is anyone really going to care about, like, the music that I put out there? Like, I don't know, man. I just, I, the only way to do it, obviously, is to try and see what happens, but it definitely girl, makes me afraid. I told you, you popping, girl. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, when I look at you, I don't, I just see a woman that's out there just chasing her dreams no matter what. So, like, don't think like that. And you have been in so many dope places, like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ivani. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to just keep trying, you know. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And, yeah, we'll just see what happens. How has your life changed since uh, since becoming a finalist on America's Got Talent? Oh, dramatically, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm traveling so much more than I've ever done. I'm um, performing in venues that I just, I only saw on TV, you know, and going to places that like I only ever dreamed about like I just I just can't believe like the amount of opportunities that have come from that platform honestly it's it's really been like life-changing and Mm -hmm. and then the people that I've met as well like the amazing connections I've made with like amazing people from all over the world it really just it blows my mind every day that like this is my life now I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I sure as hell didn't think it was going to be anything like this. So this mm-hmm. is all just, it's, I still have this feeling of like, it also has this feeling of novelty to it where it just all still all feels kind of new and, and exciting. And you know, I hope that mm-hmm. never changes. You know, I hope I, 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 I maintain this feeling of just like awe and like gratefulness and humility that just comes with, comes with um just all these opportunities that I'm getting, you know? So yeah, that's really what it is. Like, I'm just, I'm really enjoying the ride. I guess that's the way, that's the way to put it. I'm enjoying the ride. Do you get nervous? Because I know you fly a lot. Do you get nervous when you have to fly? That's thankfully something I've actually never had to deal with. Honestly, mm. I've never, even since the accident, like, because it just felt like right after the accident happened, you know, I had to be flown. I don't remember this flight, but I did have to get on a plane to get to South Africa, which is where they actually treated me at first. And then... After that, I had to be flown back to Nigeria. Don't remember that fight either. But then I had to be flown to America from Nigeria to get treatment here. So it just felt like, you know, despite what happened to me, I just can't seem to avoid this flying thing. What am I supposed to do? You know, just not go anywhere. And that's the only other option is to go only where you can drive to. And like, that's like the the most limiting life I can think of. You know, how was I going to, how was I going to live my life the way I want to? you know, live my life as fully as possible for all those who passed away. How am I going to do that if I only go where I can drive to? It just wasn't practical. So I, before I even got a chance to be afraid of flying again, I mean, I was already on a plane coming here to get treatment. So I just mm. naturally just didn't really think anything of it. Also, like, look, the odds of being on another plane that crashes are like, I feel like I have the best odds now in like life. So mm-hmm. honestly, yeah, my money, like, I got my money on you. My money's on me too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm just like, look, at this point, like catchy, look. At this point, live your life. Like honestly. You, people you people are protected, don't want baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm on the play, I'm like, everyone just be yeah, y'all just be cool. I'm here. So God right. got us. Like we good. It's the worst has already happened to me. So there, it's cool. We got, we got, right. it. We'll, we'll be fine. So that's really, that's another like spin I put on it. Like just, you know, it's just, it's, it's happened already. The worst thing people think about when they fly has already happened. So I'm just like, 
look at this point let's just let's just live our lives and just see what happens so yeah that's Listen, it you just came back with a whole voice okay? <laughs> <laughs> you got a whole singing career, so oh, singing career. oh god it's too funny <laughs> yo before we leave so you are a walking inspiration not only to so many people <laughs> including myself like i'm so happy that we were able to do this call because so, I hear you over there fine. cooking. What are you? What are you cooking? I am cooking. <laughs> I'm like, what is she? I am. How'd you know? Yes, I am. I I'm just making some. Meat or some yes. Or How did you get? That's exactly what I'm doing. I was cutting up some you chicken. You washing the vegetables? Yeah. Yes, I am. You. It's like you have eyes here. Like, what's going on? Like, this is too <laughs> funny. I'm just making some chicken thing for my mom and I. <laughs> oh, your mom's over there. Yeah, she, she she we live together. She's here with me. Oh, tell sister. Mom to hi. I'm gonna tell her hi. Uh, <laughs> well, before we leave, I want you to enjoy your night with your mother. Um, what is the last advice you would give to those who are trying to continue life after trauma? I would tell them that I believe in them. You know, I I understand from a very personal place how hard it can be to see, you know, any kind of you know um light at the end of the tunnel when you're in the tunnel you know i understand like i got to there were times during my surgery and my all my recuperation my journey where i couldn't see this like you know life after the hospital that everyone was talking about because all i was seeing was the hospital all i was seeing was surgery and all i had to look forward to was more surgery so when people would tell me hey like you know there's going to be a time when you're going to look back on all this it was just all like noise to me you know so i do understand like when you're in darkness, it's so freaking hard to see like mm-hmm. anything else. And I understand that. But I want to also be the example for them to show them in a very real way that there is so much life to look forward to after what they're going through. And not just like living and just surviving, but thriving, you know, and thriving in what you love to do and what you want to do with your life. I want people to I want people to see my life as an example of the fact that there is a chance still to to thrive even after what they've all gone through it doesn't have to be something as like dramatic as a plane crash whatever it is that might be causing you trauma or keeping you in darkness the fact that you're still here means that god's not done like you're still here because there's still something that you're supposed to do with this life that you have and you owe it to yourself after all the darkness and struggles you've been through you owe it to the future you to live on and endure and see the reason for everything that you're going through to, to, to draw the, um, what's the word to see the, um, results of, of, of everything you've gone through, you know, the, the future you deserve to see that, you know, cause mm-hmm. you're going to be more resilient, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be so much stronger for everything you're going through right now. And all that, all this is going to equip you for even more things that are going to come up in your life later on. You're going to be so much stronger, strong enough to take care of those things that are coming up in your life too. So I feel like, I feel like that's what everything is. You know, everything that we go through is just another way to build more resilience for something that the you of right now cannot deal with, you know, the way that the future you can. So yeah, I want Mm -hmm. my life to be that example for people. And I want people to be able to see that for themselves eventually as well. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Like, I'm going to definitely keep in contact with you. Please um, do. If, yes. Yeah, this has been a, such a treat. Like, you definitely gave me this, like, just looking at your story has inspired me, like, in so many ways, what I, what I want to do with my platform. And just to get more people's stories out there, because 
everybody needs some inspiration child agree <laughs> period like look we're going through right. it out here everyone yeah you know? so i think it helps when people can see that they're not alone you know right so yeah. if y'all have any questions comments or concerns or if i want to ask my guests any questions please make sure to email me at hello at the phdpodcast.com and until next time because i know my guest is over there cooking (laughs) y'all be safe and until next time later bye in the pressure cooker of the nba playoffs there's no room to fake it every pass shot and dribble is immediately consequential the playoffs are the time for the real real stakes real emotions real sweat blood and tears Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my PrevNA 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.